0: Chapter eight: A Few Good Men. And women, and the new land, the promised land. The made a new home, but from time to time they worshipped idols and other gods, forgetting the great love God had for them. Because of this, God caused them to lose their backs and become slaves of other nations. Each time this happened, God would raise up a man or a woman called a judge to guide his people back to him. But after each escape, Israel would go back to their old ways. Then they would lose another battle and fall back into slavery. This cycle happened over and over again. Good thing that's not the end of the story. God brings sinful people back into relationship with him. He still uses surprising people to accomplish his goals. Let's continue with the story. Hammy the hamster had everything a a hamster should have. He had a beautiful cage. He had food, water, and he had a running wheel. Now you've seen a hamster on a running wheel. They take off and that wheel just turns and turns and turns. But Hammy thought that he had a better idea. And so what he did was he carefully climbed to the top of his running wheel. He laid down on his back and he stretched himself out. And slowly that wheel began to turn until it picked up speed and wham! Hammy hit his head on the bottom of the cage. It hurt. He had a little knot on his head. He rubbed it and he got back on the top of that wheel. And he decided he was going to try it again. And he laid down on that top of that wheel. It started to turn and wham! He hit his head again. And Hammy just kept doing it over and over again. And we wonder, why would Hammy do that? I've got a more profound question for you. Why do we who are smarter than hamsters do that? You see, friends, the reality of sin is that it takes us farther than we want to go, it keeps us longer than we want to stay, and it costs us more than we want to pay. And yet we continually engage in this process of thinking we know better than God does how we should live our lives. And then we experience pain, and we think that the pain will lead us to a better decision the next time, but the next time comes and we just do the same thing friends this is the reality of sinful human nature and what we're going to see in the book of judges this morning is that we are an awful lot like hammy the hamster and we're an awful lot like the people at the time of the judges in the old testament if you're visiting with us we're doing something called the story over 31 weeks we are doing a we're going to go through of the Bible if you don't haven't picked up the book pick up the book following the service and you can follow along with us as you read the words of Scripture preparing for each week well this morning we're looking at the book of Judges and if you have your Bibles with you I want to invite you to turn to chapter 2 because we're going to see this entire pattern that we see throughout the book of Judges Described for us in Judges chapter 2. Here's the pattern. We begin well. We're faithful to God. Then phase two, we rebel against God because we think we have a better way, a better plan. And then the third phase is God brings discipline upon our lives in order to draw us back to himself. And then phase four, God intervenes and he saves us In the midst of our pain. And he ministers to us in the midst of our hurt. Now we're going to be seeing this pattern that happens over and again in the book of Judges. Now when I speak about Judges, most of us have in mind a man or a woman who's wearing a long black robe. Sits on a throne in a courtroom and renders judgment over people. That is not what a judge is. In the book of Judges. A judge in, a book, in the book of Judges, their role is that they are called by God to lead the people in a time where they are being oppressed. In a time where they are powerless to change their circumstances. And God raises up a judge. And he through this judge, he leads the people to freedom. He leads the people out of oppression. Now, friends, we're going to see amazing things. We can't talk about everything that's there. We see an amazing God, a God of grace that we sang about this morning. God is the one who, even when we are faithless, as we read in 2 Timothy, even though we are faithless, God remains faithful because he can't disown who he is. We see the grace and the faithfulness of God even in the face of our rebellion, We see the God of grace who loves his people and is constantly wooing his people back to himself. We also see in the book of Judges that God uses very different people. He uses very different people with very different backgrounds, very different uh, personalities, very different gifts. For example, he uses Deborah as a judge to raise up the tribe to stand against a foreign power. This is in a very male-dominated culture. God raises up Deborah, and through Deborah, God frees the nation. We see that God uses a man named Gideon. Gideon, who was from an insignificant family. Gideon from the smallest tribe of Israel. And yet God raises him up to be a leader that would save the nation we see Jephthah. Jephthah's one of my favorites. Jephthah was a gang leader. He was a gang banger. That's a phrase we would use today to describe him. He led a gang, and the people didn't want him around until oppression came as God's discipline for the nation. And who does God raise up? He raises up the leader of a gang. To set God's people free. You see, it doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your personality is. All that matters is that you are willing to say yes to God when He calls you. And God, in each of these instances, He chooses people we would never choose to lead the nation, to free the nation from oppression. And so, friends, what I want to do, just looking this morning at Judges chapter 2, I want us to look at this, at this cycle that repeats itself throughout the book of Judges. And we want to learn from each cycle the things that we need to hear and that we need to learn so that we will grow in our faith. Here's the first phase, faithful following. Now, we begin in... Uh, Judges chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, and we saw last week that God brings the people into the promised land, and they have been victorious by the power of God. Remember we said last week, the battle is not ours, the battle is the Lord's. And so the land now has come to the Israelites, but they have not fully obeyed God. They have not driven the people out of the land, and we're going to see this morning where that becomes a problem because they were not fully obedient. Verses 6 and 7 of chapter 2, we read this. After Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, they each went to take possession of the land. So 12 tribes, each tribe took a different portion of the land, each to their own inheritance. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him, and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. What we see here, if you have your own Bibles, underline those words, all who had seen the great things the Lord had done for Israel. This is the importance of thanksgiving. And remember what we said last week, thanksgiving is not a day for Christians. Thanksgiving is every moment of every day of every year of our lifetime. When we forget the great things that God has done, we will tend to wander away from God. What happens in the very next generation is that the people walk away from God. And we see that part of the reason for that is that they have forgotten the great things that God has done. What had he done? Well, they had experienced that generation of Joshua's had experienced God miraculously feeding them as he brought manna from heaven miraculously he gave them water miraculously he parted the jordan river so that the nation could cross over into the promised land miraculously god had saved the people by leading them in victory over nations that were more powerful than they were now friends as i took time to look over my shoulder, to look in the rearview mirror, to look at my past. I was reminded of many things that God has done for me. And there are many more that I have missed. But when I remember what God has done, my heart is drawn to him and for him. And what we're going to see in a moment is they forget. They forget how dangerous that is. Faithfulness is so critical. God calls us to be faithful for a lifetime. Some of you this morning are in that phase. You're walking with the Lord. You are seeking the Lord. Some of you will, will recognize and identify that you're in a different phase this morning. But that first phase is faithful following. Now, what has discouraged me over the years is that I have seen many people that I began ministry with who have not remained faithful to the Lord. They have turned their backs on the Lord. I have, uh, I have seen many people that started well, but did not finish well. Friends, it's not just about how we begin the journey of faith. It's how we proceed in the journey of faith. It's how we end the journey of faith. All of that matters. Let me give you just a couple of of illustrations. Some of you know the YMCA, great organization, great organization. This might surprise you though. The organization started in the 1850s as a place for men to gather for Bible study. That was the foundation of the YMCA. Now the YMCA is a very fine, good organization today, but... It is not a place for spiritual growth. It's not a place that is promoting Christian values intentionally. It's not a place where intentionally men gather for Bible study. They lost their way along the way. They did not remain faithful to their in, their founding intent. How about fraternities and sororities? Some of you went to college, you're familiar with with sororities and fraternities. Most of them began, hear this, as a spiritual gathering of fellowship to prepare men and women for ministry. Now, I went to USC in undergrad, and I can tell you, for most fraternities and sororities, that is not where they are today. They have lost their way. They have lost their way. Harvard University, the great Harvard University. This might shock you. This was their founding statement. Now, it isn't their statement any longer, but this was in its original charter. It's not in it today. But this was the original charter for Harvard University. Let every student be plainly instructed And earnestly pressed to consider that the main end of his life and studies is to know God and to know Jesus Christ. And to lay Christ in the bottom as the only foundation of all sound knowledge and learning. Imagine if Harvard University had continued that charter, had maintained that charter. Imagine the impact that Harvard University could have for the kingdom of God today. Now, let's take it down to us. Many of us began with a decision for Jesus. We were going to walk with Jesus. We were going to be faithful to the Lord. We were going to serve the Lord. We were going to allow God to do whatever He wanted to do in our lives and through our lives. But life happens, and life happened. And one thing after another it could have been a uh, a financial struggle, or a relational struggle, or or job struggles, whatever it is, and before we know it, we're no longer walking with him. We're no longer faithful to him. We've forgotten the joy of that, of that time when we first decided that we wanted to be a disciple of Jesus. Now, for some of you, you might think, well, I, I've always been a disciple of Jesus. You grew up in a Christian home, and You've always been a follower of Jesus. Well, what about that moment? That moment when you made a profession of faith. That moment when you said, you know what? I belong to Jesus now and forevermore. The invitation for you, if you have wandered, the invitation to you this morning is to come home again. The invitation to you this morning is that God, by his grace, welcomes you to come home to him again this can happen from generation to generation. Here's a second thing phase that I want you to see and that is growing rebellion. Growing rebellion. Turn to verses 18 and 19 with me if you will. And I'll read these verses to you. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge and he saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as the judge lived. For the Lord relented because of their groaning under those who had oppressed and afflicted them. But when the judge died, the people returned to ways even more corrupt than those of their ancestors, following other gods and serving and worshiping them. They refused to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. I, that was a very significant couple of verses for me. Because it's the importance of leadership. Did you hear what it said? As long as the judges were leading and alive, the people were faithful. But as soon as the judges died, as soon as the leaders were gone, who were leading them after after the Lord, what happened? They wandered. They did even more evil than they were doing before. Friends, it's the importance of leadership. It's the importance of raising up godly leaders to serve in their homes, to serve in their neighborhoods, to serve the church of Jesus Christ, to serve in the workplace, to serve in politics, to serve in education, to serve in all the places that God calls them to be. And what happens is when the leader dies, the flock scatters and they're no longer faithful. One of the things that we are committed to as a church here at Cross Point is to raise up a generation of leaders, to equip, to strengthen, to train a new group of leaders for the church of Jesus Christ, for the country of America, for this world. You saw this morning young people leading. We are training up leaders for the future. In the, in the spring, you're going to see we're going to have three more ordinations of young people who are standing to say, I am ready to serve full-time in the church of Jesus Christ. We are going to be training uh, seminarians in this church, raising them up, equipping and training them that they will be faithful for a lifetime because of the importance of leadership. And so what we find here is that leadership died. And when those judges died, there were new leaders that rose up who did not lead the people in the right direction. Friends, you are called to be a leader wherever you serve, wherever you are, in the home, in the neighborhood, wherever God calls you to be. Have you taken that mantle? Have you taken it seriously? Because how you lead will impact the people around you. If we want our children to follow Jesus, do they see us loving Jesus? Do they see us making the hard choices to be faithful to Jesus in a world that is alien to His ways? Do they see mom and dad and grandma and grandpa and aunts and uncles? Do they see us? Do they see us living a life that is worth emulating? for the kingdom of God there are a couple other things though that are going on here here's the problem of a commitment to a person and not to the Lord you see one of the problems here and we saw this in verses 18 and 19 apparently their commitment was to the leader their commitment wasn't to the Lord we have no desire for you to ever be committed to us as leaders of the church as pastors, as staff, as elders, as deacons, it is not our desire for you to follow us. It is our desire for you to follow the Lord. One day we will be gone. And what matters is that you follow the Lord. That is all we care about. We want you to follow Jesus. We want you to be committed to Jesus. So one day when God calls a new lead pastor... Your commitment is to Jesus. And the church of Jesus Christ here at Crosspoint will continue to grow, continue to be healthy. Here was another struggle that we see in Judges. In verse 10, the problem of the lack of discipleship. Friends, we need to hear this verse. After that whole generation, speaking of Joshua and all the people that had seen those great miracles of God, after the whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, Another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what the Lord had done for Israel. That should cause consternation for all of us. Friends, our job is to pass faith on to the next generation. Our job is to tell the next generation the great stories of what God has done. Our job is it's to make sure that we are telling the next generation who he is, what he has done, why he's worthy of worship, why he's worthy of obedience. And that doesn't just mean grandfathers to grand- biological grandchildren, or dads to, and moms to their biological children. This means all of us to everyone in the next generation. And so I want to ask everyone here a question. Who are you mentoring? Teenagers, I love having you part of vacation Bible school. I love having you part of children's ministry. You have a voice that I cannot have because it's my job to talk about Jesus, because I'm on the older side. I didn't say old. A teenager can say things to a child in ways that will reach that child that I cannot say. You who are grandparents, your job is not done. When I say grandparents, all of us who are over 60, our job is not done. Your grandchildren and children may live out of state. There are children and youth in this place and young adults in this place that need you to step into their lives in a godly way to tell them the story of our great an amazing and faithful God. If I don't do it and you don't do it, why would we expect the next generation to know Jesus? Here's another struggle, and this is a big one for us in the Church of Jesus Christ today, and it's always been an issue. It's the problem of syncretism. Now, syncretism is simply this. Syncretism is taking lots of different worldviews And packaging them together. So I take what the Bible teaches. Then I take what our world, our culture in America believes. And I put that in the same bucket. As if it's of equal value. And then I take a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And I mix them all together in a bucket. This was the problem why God wanted to drive the nations out of the land. Because he knew if they stayed in the land, that the Israelites would begin to take their beliefs and their worldview, worldviews and put them in the bucket with the laws of God and the commands of God. It's syncretism. I see it today all the time in the American church. Things that we have compromised because, well, everybody else does it. This is what everybody believes in America today. If I believe this, I'll be in a minority. Yes, you will. Jesus told us we would. Listen to what it says. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. Baals are false gods. Here's what we read. They forsook or they forgot the Lord, the God of their ancestors who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples of the nations around them. And by doing so, we read on, it says, they aroused the anger of the Lord. That's serious stuff. Now, what do we tend to worship in America? Money, power, intellectualism. We tend to worship possessions, and we just mix that all in the same bucket together. And we say, well, that's okay. That's okay. That's what everybody does. Sexually active outside of marriage? That is very acceptable in our world today. And I've seen the church just keep moving in that direction. This is not how God wants us to live. And we need to go back to God's truth and embrace his truth. I wonder, this is probably the biggest struggle of my faith, is syncretism. It's things that are so acceptable, and I just kind of get sucked into it. And before I know it, I've got that bucket of a lot of different things, and I'm living out of that bucket instead of out of the Word of God. Here's the third thing that we see, and that's just judgment and discipline. So God then... We see in verses 14 and 15, he loves us too much to leave us in that place of rebellion. He loves us too much to let us just continue to be mired in that bucket of, of sin and brokenness, where we just keep hurting ourselves and the people around us. So we read in verses 14 and 15, In his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hands of raiders who plundered them. This happens over and again. So he gives them into the hands of foreign nations, of foreign people who come and he lets them be victorious over God's people. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around whom they were no longer able to resist. See, when the Lord was standing with them, they were successful. He's taken his his blessing away and now they're not successful in in their battles. Whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them, just as he had sworn to them, just as he told them he would. They were in great distress. This is when Hammy the hamster hits his head on the bottom of the cage. This is what he realizes, and you and I realize in our life, because of the pain that we're in, that sin has taken us too far. Sin has kept us too long, and it's cost us more than we want to pay. It's when we realize that there's a problem in our lives, and life isn't working the way I thought it would. Now, what I do in this stage is I—I I want you to hear this carefully. I ask the Lord. What do you want me to hear in the midst of my distress? You know, if I get sick, it doesn't mean the Lord's punishing me. It doesn't mean the Lord's disciplining me. By the way, the Bible says many times the Lord disciplines those he loves. Like a parent disciplines their child, it's for their own good. The child doesn't see it that way often in the moment, but it's for their own good. In the same way, when God disciplines us, it's for our own good. And so I ask the Lord, what do I need to understand in this situation? What do I need to hear from you? God, what, what are you wanting to say to me in this situation? Because it's not necessarily that God is disciplining me. It may be I'm the victim of just sin in the world. But I ask the Lord, what do you want to say to me? And when your heart is open you will see clearly. You will understand because God's intent, if there is rebellion, is to draw you back to himself. But God loves you too much to not allow you to go through hard things. I remember a season of my life, it was three years long, two to three years long, the worst and the best season I ever went through. I cried out to God numerous times, Lord, take me out of this. Get me out of this. And I just remained in it. And it was painful. But through that process, God began to restore, renew things in me. Through that process, God made me a better pastor. He made me a better husband. He made me a better dad. He made me a better friend. He made me a better disciple for his kingdom. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't want to go through that again but I praise God that he loved me enough to not leave me where I was. Friends, God loves you. He loves you enough to discipline you. And then finally, we see this. Deliverance. Deliverance. The people cry out to God, and he delivers them. He delivers them. The Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of these raiders. And he would free the nation and they would go back to a time of faithfulness under the leadership of that judge until the judge died and then the cycle would begin all over again. I want to close by telling you about Samson, one of the judges of God's people. The story of Samson's a little different from the story of the other judges. Samson was living at a time, now I want you to hear this, this is so critical, where the people were living in rebellion and they didn't even see the danger in their midst. Now, here's what was happening the Philistines had tried to destroy the Israelites by military power, but they were unable to do so. So they came up with a new plan of attack. Here was the plan. We're going to infiltrate. And so they infiltrated the Israelites. They began living among the Israelites. And they began to transform the Israelites with their own practices and their own false beliefs. The Israelites had no idea of the danger that this was bringing to them. They didn't see that there was a problem. That's the danger. When we are living with syncretism and we don't even identify it. We don't even see it. The enemy is in our camp and we can't even identify the enemy. But they began to intermarry with the Philistines. They began to compromise the very way that God had called them to live. They began to build idols to worship the idols of the Philistines instead of just worshiping the true God and this from my reading is the only instance where the people didn't cry out for help but God obviously saw the danger and he rose he raised up Samson and he called Samson to create a war between the Israelites and the Philistines so Samson begins to fight against The Philistines, he's a one man wrecking crew. He's a one man army. The Israelites keep telling him to stop it because they want to live the way they're living with the Philistines. And they don't even see it. They even turn Samson over to the enemy, to the Philistines. Because they don't want this war. They don't want this battle. They want to keep living the way they're living. But through Samson, God stirs a war. So that the people of God will stand up. And they will see where they have gone. Friends, I want to say this to you as we close. We are in a spiritual battle. But most of us don't even see it. We are being molded and shaped by our culture in ways that are foreign to the ways of God. And we don't even acknowledge it. We don't even see it. That is a story from the Bible that never ceases to challenge me and teach me. Am I like the people of Israel at the time of Samson? The enemy, I have allowed the enemy into my gates. I've allowed the enemy into my camp. And I don't even know the danger that that brings. The stage that God wants us to live in is the stage of faithfulness. It takes courage. It takes intentionality. It takes focus. It takes a daily commitment to be following Jesus. Time alone with him in his word. Time with other believers in his word. Time in prayer, both speaking and listening to the spirit of God. Friends, we're in a war. Jesus said it. The apostle Paul said it. Peter said it. John said it. But we don't see it. And as we said last week, our battle is not against flesh and blood, against people, but about, it's against powers and principalities that would draw us away from God. Will you pray with me? Our Father, we thank you for your love and your grace and your goodness. We thank you for your presence with us, for the ways that you love and provide and care for us, your people. The story of Judges is our story. But the story of God is always the same. God, thank you that you never change. Thank you that you're always faithful, even when we are faithless. Thank you that your love never stops, never slows down. Thank you that you never give up on us, even when People around us give up on us, or even when we give up on ourselves, you never give up on us. We give you gratitude and praise in the name of Jesus. Amen.